Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with stories about the weather and climate and how they interact with our daily lives. We talk to our own meteorologists from AccuWeather and experts from around the world about what you're hearing about and talking about from the news, and we'll explore that nexus between science and life. This is our fourth episode in our Back to School series, and this week I personally needed a little education on the subject that seems like more and more of us are dealing with every day. As a large, wild animal has decided to pay my front door a couple of visits in the last couple of weeks, while our summer of mild drought here in Pennsylvania may be the cause for that for me, other areas of the country, including out west with the extraordinary wildfire situation and the Gulf Coast with now two hurricane strikes in the last several weeks, we're seeing wildlife and human interaction on increased levels. In our first Rays of Focus segments, we'll explore my story of Bruin burglaries and how you can be prepared for when Mother Nature's creatures get too close to you and your family with both my local game warden and an expert from the National Wildlife Federation. Then expert senior meteorologist Dan Kutlowski will join me in our Weather for the Weekend and Beyond segment. We're about to run out of names in the Atlantic hurricane season. Dan updates Weather's hurricane forecast with more interaction with the United States expected here in the coming weeks. We are barely getting started, and friends, it's time to talk about everything under the sun. If you follow me on Twitter at DeanPSUPA or maybe my Facebook page, well, you know that I've had a couple of close encounters of the bear kind at my house recently. Just a couple of weeks ago on my very first visit of the morning outside between my radio uh, hits, I, I looked over to look at a hummingbird feeder and I didn't see it. And I was like, well, where the heck is it? So I ran back upstairs, loaded up my Nest doorbell camera, and I soon saw why. An adult black bear had come up onto the front stoop reached over and tried to take a drink out of the hummingbird feeder before he pulled it down. He then pulled down a couple of bird feeders at the side of my house and had a little snack, too. Now, look, I live in central Pennsylvania. I've uh, grown up with hunting. I hunted deer and bear myself when I was a kid. But, you know, I did get a little alarmed the second time that he came back in the next couple of weeks, slickly pushing over my trash can and swiping out the bag to help himself to a feast in my yard. And he took down the bird feeders on the side again. So I did have a repeat visitor and I knew it was time to get some advice. So Dan Murray has been with the Pennsylvania Game Commission now for 11 years and is my local game warden here in Center County, Pennsylvania. So I called Dan to ask him what I should do next. I guess, Dan, the first question in my mind, this has to be in my mind related to the drought situation that we've had here in Pennsylvania. It's been a very dry summer overall. We've had some fits and starts of rain, but I would think that this is part and parcel of the animals not having as much food in the in the wilds right now as they are normal to have this time of year. One thing I always try to let people know, which is 
It doesn't matter if you're in Snowshoe or any of the northern towns in Center County. If you're in downtown State College, you could see a bear. Right, because uh, we're, we're in that zone where we're, even though we're in a little more urban spot here, we're, we're definitely interacting right up against the, the wilds it's, of Pennsylvania. It's definitely not uh, you know, as frequent an occurrence, but you know, food is the, the driving factor. Why would a wild bear want to be in downtown state college if it weren't for something tasty you know those things that they're looking for those things that they they prefer uh and where we could do some maybe some self-help and avoid having uh any visits or possibly some even some damage to our properties if we just uh, take care of those enticements so if i'm a person uh that, that has this situation is it is there a, an appropriate time to call the game commission? I, I I waited till the second visit, and it was obvious to me that he or she, you know, kind of revisited, and then we had some other folks in the in our little neighborhood that had some issues too. So I kind of waited. But is is there an appropriate time to call you guys, or is that something that you appreciate the call right away the first time it happens? If you are concerned, um, if it's a concern, if it's something that you think uh, is out of the ordinary, um, I would expect anybody to call in that circumstance. If you had some experience with it before and you'd like to try to, you know, like I said, do some self-help and remove some enticements and see if that alleviates your issue, then by all means, go ahead. You know, we're here. You know, uh, somebody will answer the call and either give you advice or show up to help you out. Dan, when you look at, let's talk about some of the mitigation factors. So obviously uh, we're, we're looking at not providing food sources for these animals that are, that are really easy. And, and garbage can is a buffet table. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. Uh, they seem to be hitting bird feeders a lot, at least mine. Uh, and so what are some other things that we should probably try to avoid if we know that there's wildlife that's encroaching on our neighborhood? What are some of the other things that we should try to avoid putting out there in this situation? You know, I'm, I'm not in, at least I don't think I am in an unreasonable uh, game warden. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I know you, you understand have... there's living to be done, right? <laughs> exactly. People need to live their lives and enjoy life. And I am all about that. So you know, we're going to have gas grills or charcoal grills. You know, we're going to have picnics and leave the pie on the windowsill, so, so to speak, you know. So, you know, I understand all that. The, the thing I would suggest is this. I feed the birds. We bring our bird feeder in at night. Yeah. Uh, if I don't, there's a very good chance somebody's going to raid my bird feeder. I've had bird feeders stolen, trash cans absolutely stolen. I can't find them. <laughs> from, from a bear you're assuming right we would assume so that. you know it, it happens to us just the same as it happens to everybody else and i can tell you what i do you know i'm fortunate enough to have facilities here that i don't have to put my garbage out until collection morning that might and for some people that means getting up five minutes earlier you know to put the trash out you know because they're morning routines or whatever but i put the trash out collection morning that really decreases the chance, you know, the time that he could be, able, you know, a bear could get at that garbage. When I'm putting the, you know, also before I leave for work, I also hang the bird feeders. This is an extra task for us. I understand that. Don't need to do, we don't need to do actually, it 90% of the time, but now, especially we do need to take that effort, probably that extra 10% of well, the time, especially this time of year, right? 
you know, I, I kind of look at it and I, you know, uh, a lot of people agree. It's kind of a responsibility. You know, the, the wildlife belongs to the Commonwealth and that means everyone. The game commission has been tasked with managing it through, you know, certain means. My job is to help alleviate these uh, human wildlife conflicts. That's part of my job. But since we all have ownership in this wildlife and in these wild lands, you know, it's our job to do our part to make sure that, you know, wildlife is is taken care of. So as we get closer to hunting season and we're starting to see not only these animals looking for food as they get ready for winter, but they're also going to start to be moved around by people. Now, uh, again, we're talking with Dan Murray. He's my local game warden here in Center County, Pennsylvania. This is being a national show. I'm sure uh, most of the states have the same kind of game commission as uh, Pennsylvania does. Pennsylvania very active with hunting. And we're getting into that season. So first of all, just come to a couple of quick comments. Uh, COVID-19, I know it's affected your staffing. I know it's affected everything that everybody does. How do you think, Dan, or have you guys talked about in the game commission how COVID-19 may affect the hunting situation and trying to control some of the population going into that here as we go into this fall, later in the fall and the winter. Do you think the numbers are going to be down in terms of hunters? And does that mean the numbers of wildlife are actually going to be up here after we're done with the hunting season? I haven't seen anything as far as a forecast. You in know, terms of the numbers of hunters or exactly or I don't it. okay. But what that also tells me is I don't believe that we're expecting a decrease because of it. In fact, and this is my personal hope, sincere hope, is that it would, since we've been so bottled up, I would hope that more people would want to get out and take advantage of all Pennsylvania has to offer as far as its sporting traditions. So, you know, whether it be small game, you know, or big game hunting, you know, there's plenty to do. There's plenty to do. And that, you know, and I'll make a sales pitch here, that hunting license is very affordable and it's a lot of entertainment for 20 bucks. And it also is a responsibility. It's a responsible action because that money is used for management of, of resources and all kinds of things within the Commonwealth, right? Absolutely. The game, you know, the game commission is a, um, is, is funded through license sales and certain uh, funds from taxes so respect is is really the key word, respect of our, our great environment and our great uh, opportunities here in Pennsylvania. And then respecting this wildlife, as you said, I mean, we see more and more of people wanting to build out in the beauty of the wilds of Pennsylvania, build houses and places to live. Our population keeps expanding and um, our you know, we're, we're, we're cutting off big blocks of land. I mean, I was just thinking about that. I, I was reading, is, that, is this right? Uh, uh, an average black bear probably roams 40, 50, 60 square miles uh, in terms of his, his life. So it's not like a bear stays in just one small spot. They, they, they're on the move, right? Sure. They're on the move. Then they have, uh, they have different territories. There is a home territory for a bear. And in fact, a lot of the bears that we capture for either for nuisance or research and then transport will, will find its way home. Right. So I, I've recaptured bears that I've taken. Right? Yeah, sure. I've, I have recaptured bears that I've taken, you know, over a hundred miles away. Dan, I'm, I'm, did you see the video? I think it came out this week. Uh, it was up in Massachusetts, a guy that was sleeping by his pool. Bear comes up in the afternoon. I think it was like three, four o'clock in the afternoon and the bear touches his foot. And, and then immediately upon the guy waking up, the bear is scared and he runs away. So 
are we always going to get that response if we come face to face with an animal? Or are there times when we're not going to get that response? What should our response be if we are coming? If I had opened up the door that early morning and seen Mr. or Ms. Bear face to face, (laughs) I mean, is there something I should have done or is there something we should do in that situation? This is a great opportunity for me to just add. I did see that video, by the way. That was hilarious. I'm not surprised, though, by, by the actions of the bear. They're curious. They're smart. They're also opportunistic and lazy, which is why they love your bird feeders. It's a lot of calories, and it's just hanging there for them, right? Right. So in that particular video that we're talking about, you know, the bear was curious. It, it definitely checked the situation out. But as soon as it realized, oh, I shouldn't have done that, it did the appropriate thing and turned tail. Your average Pennsylvania black bear, whether it be male or female, is a, like I said, smart, curious, opportunistic, sometimes quite lazy creature who, you know, also is docile and most of the time pretty shy. And when they seem aggressive or bold, it's because there's something there that they like, like tasty bird seed or something, you know, and such. Mm -hmm. And there's no reason to be afraid. In other words, we make it easy on them. It's okay to yell. It's okay to bang pots and pans. It's okay to even, you know, toss something their way and not with the intention of hurting it, but to startle it. It's okay to do these things. They need to know where they're welcome and where they're unwelcome. I would suggest if you have a bear in your yard and you don't want it there to let it know, you know, go away, go away. If it doesn't go away and continues to do its, uh, what it wants to do, definitely give us a call. Uh, we, we have certain hazing techniques that we can, in certain circumstances that we can um, help you out with there. And, you know, in, in the cases where a trap is definitely necessary, we will trap nuisance bears. Are there some resources online uh, that we can go to uh, through the Game Commission in terms of to see some of these things firsthand, do you know of? Absolutely. Um, You know, the Pennsylvania Game Commission's website is pgc.pa.gov. And if, you know, whatever you're thinking of, you know, whatever your questions are, you're always welcome to call your regional office, uh, your local PGC office, and speak with a game warden or a biologist, or whoever you'd, you know, you'd like to try to speak to, we're available. I would, I would like to add one thing, if it's yes, okay. Uh, hearing the words self-help and even the words no sometimes, it's, it's, it's tough. I understand, understand that. Right, because like to- in this society, we expect that, oh, well, you know, somebody should take care of that for me. I don't really need to, do, I don't need to change my behavior. I mean, that should be somebody else's job, right? Right. We were, we were here first, right? I mean, and I hear that, which is actually laughable, isn't it? I mean, to say that we were here before wildlife, but I would say this is that, you know, we are here to help. If, if you're experiencing property damage, and I mean, real damage, that bear is that determined. Um, you know, we've had break-ins and back porches to get gas grills, things like that. Uh, you know, that is what traps are reserved for. Okay. Um, outside of uh, research, real property damage, something that's beyond self-help. This is a determined bear. And also for agricultural damage. Those are most, uh, those are the instances in which I set traps most of the time. 
So, Dan, one other quick thing here is we've been talking about uh, the bear situation as they head into their hibernation. Obviously, uh, this is also mating season. They'll be uh, giving birth and then coming out of hibernation in the spring. Are there going to be some concerns for me and others who've been dealing with bears over the fall uh, as we get into the spring situation? Yeah, absolutely. When they come out of torpor, um, they are hungry and they're looking to put on uh, calories. Um, And also, don't forget, too, that in the spring, there's some um, there's some extra bears coming along. Right, uh, <laughs> we've added to the population over the winter. That's right. So, and with these female bears with cubs with these sows, you know it's a good you know it's a good thing to remember. While bears are normally docile and you know shy, if a bear is aggressive, um, most of the time it's because they feel threatened and there's no you know uh, escape route for them or something is they feel their cubs are are threatened in some manner. So while we're enjoying Penn's woods, while we're on the game lands in the state forests or in certain areas like where we live, um, you know, if you know a bear has been in the area when you step outside and in the evening and it's a good idea to make some noise, just to be aware of your surroundings and to make sure that we're not putting ourselves in these situations. Um, and that's, you know, that's the best advice I could give as far as that's concerned. Again, that website for the Pennsylvania Game Commission, pgc.pa.gov, right along the top line. You can see all the things that you need to look at there, including uh, buying the license, which Dan talked about, reporting a harvest, a violation, hunting digest seasons, everything else, and then information on how you can contact. Of course, that's for Pennsylvania. I'm sure that your local state or local government agency will certainly have the same kind of information that you can research to talk to someone with a game commission or, or wildlife situation. Obviously, I know that that is a Pennsylvania-based conversation. This conversation actually needs to be expanded because that interaction between wildlife and humans is happening with more frequency because of the extraordinary weather we're having across the country. When I come back, we'll talk to Dr. Bruce Stein from the National Wildlife Federation about some of that and how we can take steps to be careful and safe out there through the rest of the country. That's coming up next on Everything Under the Sun. Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me, Bernie Reno, and Evan Myers. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather, gaining knowledge on terms like what's a nor'easter. Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast platforms today. So we definitely have a lot to talk about. Dr. Bruce A. Stein is chief scientist and associate vice president of the National Wildlife Federation. The NWF is the United States' largest private nonprofit conservation education and advocacy organization. It has over 6 million members and supporters throughout all 50 states and one of our territories. Bruce joins me to talk about this increasing situation where we're seeing interaction between wildlife and people, how we can be better prepared to be out and about. So, Bruce, as we were talking, just so much going on weather-wise across the country, a second landfalling hurricane situation uh, in the last uh, as many weeks, these amazing wildfires in the West. And so kind of 
taking from where we started the podcast with my personal story about dealing with this bear because of the lack of food, we think, in the, in the uh, Pennsylvania forests here this, this uh, dry summer, uh, all kinds of situations going on over the country. And I just saw some more stories today about the uh, amazing floodwaters that Sally has caused and all the things that, you know, videos and pictures of people looking at alligators just out their uh, backyard and, and snakes and eels. And then, of course, with the fires out west, all of the uh, animals moving around. Uh, for someone that looks at this kind of thing, it's it's you know, where do you look first, Bruce? I mean, it's 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 kind of crazy out there right now in terms of this scenario. Well, first of all, your experience with the bear is not unusual. This is actually something that we've begun seeing more widely uh, out in Colorado, as an example. You know, as that state's experienced longer-term droughts and the food resources that these wild bears normally rely on the berries and other food, you know, they are coming down out of the mountains to, to seek food. And, and really what you need to do is just uh, try and manage your, uh, your lifestyle and your trash in ways that are not going to be interesting to, to the bears. Right. So, they don't, they, you don't want to set out a buffet table every, every week to them, right? Which is what a garbage can is, right? That's right. And, and obviously communities out West that have uh, bears in and around them oftentimes put in place um, very strict restrictions on how you secure your trash to avoid just that sort of thing. But in areas perhaps such as where you live, where that's not normally the case, then when you have a, a drought happening and your uh, bears are coming into areas that they're not usually in. The, the main thing that we would recommend, not just for bears, but for all of the kinds of wildlife that enters neighborhoods as a result of either floods or wildfires is that people should give them space. Most wildlife, um, they don't want to interact with humans. Uh, and so uh, if, you, if you see a bear, if you, you're down south in the midst of flooding, and there's alligators or snakes, uh, give them space because they will they will go away. Um, you know where people get into trouble is when they try and interact with the wildlife, uh, approach them, touch them. Even if the wildlife, the animal appears to be injured, and that can be the case, especially in the instance of wildfires, the thing to do is to again give it space. It may pick up and and move off on its own. If it's really injured, then call the state wildlife agency or a, a certified local wildlife rehabilitator, but don't try and take it on yourself to, um, uh, to approach, touch, and rescue these things uh, on your own. Yeah, I'm not going to wrestle with a bear. Um, I'm just, I'm going to, I'll let the, the local game warden do that if he wishes. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's smaller things that can have a bigger impact and, and, and can really do some harm if you're not paying attention. And I want to bring that up, especially because this relates to a, an article you helped uh, with us here from AccuWeather.com a few years ago when we talked about what wildlife does after flooding. And we're certainly seeing that. We saw it with Laura and now we're seeing it with Sally. Uh, we talked about deer and other large animal ants and fire ants. That's a big problem. And they can have like floating mounds of that in this flooding here that we're seeing in areas in the South. That's right. That's one of the real uh, hazards that, uh, that, that folks that are dealing with these large-scale flooding events in the South especially need to be aware of is that, you know, in addition to all of the other problems they have, just keeping an eye out for floating masses of fire ants. Fire ants are not 
native species. They, uh, they're they invasive species. They came from elsewhere and they're uh, very painful if, if you do get stung by them. Mm. Uh, and unfortunately, they are spreading here in the U.S., uh, spreading uh, for a variety of reasons, but including because the climate is warming. And so they're essentially starting to move further north. But just keeping an eye out for fire ants, snakes that may be in, in the floodwaters, uh, and just staying safe um, as, as you're trying to uh, deal with the impacts of the flooding on your, your home and your family. Snakes, eels, uh, also, um, I think that, uh, you know, mosquitoes are another thing. And we were seeing stories about how after Laura, uh, people were losing livestock in Louisiana because uh, the aftermath of the flooding just kind of uh, exploded the number of mosquitoes in Louisiana. And they have just uh, to look for their food wherever they can. And they've been they were, uh, from what I was reading right, kind of just swarming on younger, uh, more vulnerable animals and actually killing them. And that's that's a, not an uncommon occurrence. We may see that again with the Sally situation, uh, with the incredible flooding that we're seeing in the southeast here over the next uh, week or so. Yeah, so I, I'm not familiar with the mosquitoes uh, killing young livestock in the south, but what we do know is that elsewhere in the country, we're seeing sort of a similar phenomenon. As the climate is warming in the northeast, Moose populations in uh, New Hampshire and Vermont and Maine are increasingly being infested by winter ticks. And these ticks are drawing so much blood out of many of these moose that, that it's causing increased mortality, and particularly among uh, uh, young moose. And so, you know, these ticks, mosquitoes are small uh, individually, but when you have large quantities of them, they can really damage even. Uh, animals as as massive as as moose and uh, and I've been seeing uh, West Nile cases being reported up in the Northeast a little bit now too. So uh, we've got that to deal with. You know, you said that you've been seeing obviously more incursions of wildlife because as we continue to spread out as as a population from city centers out into more rural places. Plus, with the climate warming, the, the, the animals are going different places than maybe they were 20, 30 years ago. This is an important time to keep people educated, right, about uh, this interaction, because if you're not careful, it can turn out bad for you or a member of your family if you're just not paying attention and keeping your guard up in some of these situations. Well, absolutely. And, and we, have to, we have to recognize that over the last few decades, people have increasingly been moving into uh, wildland areas and into regions that, that previously were pretty unfragmented wildlife habitat. Um, right now, there's actually on the order of 45 million houses that are in what we often call the wildland urban interface. This is These are the areas that, you know, tend to be wildfire prone. These are the areas that, you know, again, people love to, uh, to live there because there's forests, there's wildlands, there's usually uh, around a lot them. of beauty in those areas too. It's probably that's very right. The beauty in those areas, but what's happening is that we're fragmenting habitat that that used to be available for wildlife. We're cutting off the the daily and the seasonal mi- migratory pathways that they once used. So that's actually causing big problems from a wildlife conservation standpoint. It's also causing issues related to how we can manage things like wildfires when they do start makes it when when there's a lot of houses in these fire prone areas 
it makes it more complicated to do the proactive management to reduce the wildfire risks, prescribed burns and the like. And it also means that when a fire does break out, then firefighters uh, oftentimes need to pay attention to trying to protect houses and property, which can divert them from getting uh, containment lines around the fire more generally. So it's, you know, there's a couple of issues with that. But I think, you know, one of the things that we've also begun increasingly saying is how can we reconnect these wildlife habitats in ways that that work both for people and, and the wildlife? We're speaking with Dr. Bruce Stein, Chief Scientist and Associate Vice President of the National Wildlife Federation located down in Washington, D.C. And uh, Bruce, we're looking at uh, the situation. And if you were talking to someone about moving into a place where they are going to have more interaction with uh, wildlife than they did, say, when they were in their previous locale in, in more of an urban setting, what are some of the things that you can do? Are there some things you can teach yourself and your youngsters about how to respect uh, the wildlife that's now around you that you may not have uh, been dealing with before? Sure. And, and first of all, let's just recognize that people love uh, wildlife. And part of the joy of living in some of these areas is the chance to see uh, wildlife, whether that's, you know, deer or whether it's uh, foxes, uh, whether it's the wild birds. And so, you know, that's actually part of what draws uh, people. But again, taking, um, taking precautions uh, so that you're not, first of all, providing um, uh, unneeded uh, attractants for things like bears. And as we talked about a little bit earlier, uh, in, in um, areas that are inhabited by bears, that means putting trash in bear-proof containers, things of that sort. It also means if you're in areas that are inhabited by mountain lions, being aware of, you know, if you have small pets, uh, just you know, being aware of when uh, when you are letting your pets outside because nobody wants to have their dogs or cats uh, end up as prey for for a mountain lion. And so, if we're moving into their habitat, we just need to take care of our pets in ways that are going to keep them safe, and also make sure that the wild animals that are in that region don't end up being viewed as a nuisance. And and oftentimes, what happens if bears or uh, bobcats or mountain lions end up being uh, designated as nuisance because of these unwanted interactions as fish and wildlife uh, wardens end up needing to euthanize them or relocate them, and that's in really no one's uh, interest. Are there any resources from the uh, National Wildlife Federation that uh, folks could use in these situations? Do you have some uh, stuff online for them? Absolutely. We have a variety of things online. In fact, in particular, I draw people's attention to some great blogs that my colleague, uh, Dave Mizjewski, who's uh, National Wildlife Federation's naturalist, um, he has put some blogs on what to do when you're dealing with black bears uh, or snakes or foxes. And he's also got a great one on what to do if you find baby wildlife and, and when to back off, give it, uh, give it room to move off versus when you might need to call a wildlife rehabilitator. And I can send you some links to that that you could post on your website. 
Their website is a true resource, nwf.org, for the National Wildlife Federation. If you uh, go to the original page and to the original masthead there at the top, if you look across, you'll see the word blog. If you hit that, you come to all the uh, blogs, and Bruce has written some amazing blogs in there that you can find to talk about some of the things that he talked about with us today, including uh, snakes, foxes, black bears, baby wildlife. We'll put some of those links up on uh, our Twitter page and our, our Twitter feed when we promote this podcast as well. Again, thanks to Dr. Bruce A. Stein from the National Wildlife Federation. Dan Kudlowski is standing by. Um, Part of the reason uh, much of the wildlife is stirred up in parts of the country, including the Gulf Coast, has been the second strike of a hurricane as Sally came on shore this week. We've updated the hurricane forecast. Dan talks about that and the weather for the weekend and beyond. That's coming up next on Everything Under the Sun. Whether you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun here on our fourth episode in our Back to School series. Uh, It is uh, turning the page into the second half, post-peak now, the hurricane season, and it has still been busy. We just had another landfalling hurricane situation with Sally coming on shore this past week, and we've got more to come. We've just revised our AccuWeather.com hurricane forecast here in the mid-September period, and I'm joined by Chief Hurricane Forecaster, expert senior meteorologist Dan Kitlowski. Dan, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, we were getting to the peak of hurricane season and we talked about an explosion and here we go as we are past that peak. But man, uh, another tough week uh, for those along the Gulf Coast with Sally, who is continuing uh, to sit and kind of, well, starting to accelerate as we record this Thursday and will accelerate off the coast Friday, but amazing catastrophic damage along the coast again, especially from the flooding situation. So to me, Dan, as it's looked the last uh, several weeks, we were seeming to get waves. We had kind of a wave of activity with Isaias, and then we kind of slowed down a little bit. And then we had that wave when Laura came in. And now we've got this wave going on now. And we're running out of names, Dan. We have one more name to go, Wilfred, and that could get named here fairly soon. So uh, obviously we talked about that, that we're going to go to the Greek alphabet, but I know you've been working here in the last uh, the day or so on trying to revise the, the forecast for the hurricane season. Uh, as uh, I know you expected this, but is this even more than you expected here at this point in mid to late September? You know, we knew this was going to be a very active season. I don't think uh, when we made our forecast up back in February and March, we were thinking, you know, 20 plus storms as a possibility, but we never dreamed we would be going to 28, maybe 28 storms. So we have just revised our forecast. So now we're going with a total of 28 storms, 13 hurricanes and six major hurricanes. We've had a range of uh, six to 10 landfalls on the United States for uh, since, uh, since spring. And so we're going to say flat out roughly around 10 landfalls. So if that, if that works out, that means we'll have at least two more landfalls on the United States because with the landfall of Sally, that was the eighth landfall. Odds are that we're going to have at least a couple of more landfalls just given the pattern and the time of the year. And all coastal areas are opened up, Texas from Brownsville, Florida, all the way up to New England. So I'm telling people anywhere, if you live close to or near the coast, if you have property near the coast, 
again, be prepared for a hurricane this year. The increase to 28 in the name storms, the average year is about 12. Last year we had 18. So right. yeah, we're, we're definitely, how far you think we're going into the Greek alphabet, my friend? Well, again, I think we'll go all the way to Ada because in 2005, there was actually an unnamed storm right. that they went back and analyzed. So if they would have got that, the whole names would have been re redone. And what's interesting, we wouldn't have had Wilma hitting Florida. We would have had probably a Greek a Greek alphabet uh, storm hitting Florida. But the problem we face now is is we can't retire a Greek alphabet. Okay, we can't Greek again. Right, we can't right. retire the the letter. So uh, it is going to be interesting to see what they do. My, I guess what they'll do is they'll just put the date. Right, you know, like Alpha here. 2020 or Beta exactly. 2021, right, right exactly. if we get to that. Right. right. Yeah. So, and then the and the other set, you know, name storms is one thing. I think the direct impacts is the number. And, you know, we originally said eight, we're already up to 10. Uh, right. The normal average for that is three and a half. So, I mean, we're looking at three times the direct impacts to yeah. the United exactly. States. And, and that's been incredible. And we could see two, three more before this season's over. That's right. Exactly. So, that's why I said I'm telling people not to let their guard down. A lot of the storms we've had hit the U.S. have not really been real strong. Like first named uh, storm we had this uh, just barely hit the Carolina coast, and we've had I mean we, well we had Arthur. I mean Arthur, it wasn't actually a landfall, but it did bring some heavy rain to the right. Outer Bank. Arthur came in. It was a typical tropical weak tropical storm, but I'd say that ICI uh, Isaias, um, Laura. And to some degree, Hannah, since Hannah was a hurricane, and now Sally, uh, those those are the four impacts or in landfalls that I think probably that will stand out. At least if we get no impacts the rest of the season, those will stand out. The rest of the season, um, you know, even Cristobal was not much of a storm by the time time it got to the uh, coast of Louisiana. Again, you know, if you're effect if you're impacted by a storm, you have flooding, or you've had wind damage. Uh, that's been a terrible storm for you. So right, I right. right. We, we say that all the time. You can you can have one hurricane all year, and if it hits you, it's a bad hurricane season. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's another stat on there that I just want to take a minute or two to break down because uh, we see it, and it's the terminology is ACE. It stands for Accumulated Cyclone Energy. And I was trying to come up with the kind of the layman's way to describe it. So, you know... <laughs> I remember when I was a kid and was looking at sports statistics, I would say, you know, how good is a college football team? Well, a college football team is as good as it is how many weeks it's on the top 25 and how high it gets and how long it stays there. If you look at a team the whole season, I think that's kind of what we do yeah. with ACE, right? We look at each storm. We talk about how in each part of the storm where its winds are and if it's up over hurricane strength and uh, they use a multiplication, um, that number normally is about 106 we're already up to the forecast now 200, which means 200, right? Yeah, right. Which means we're going to have, uh, you know, so many of these hurricanes now in this long form time of the year where we could have hurricanes that stay hurricanes may not affect the land, but there will stay hurricanes for a good amount of time. Is that is exactly. that how I should interpret that? Exactly. So if you look at if you look, for example, the current storm we have out in the Atlantic, you know, this is Thursday is uh, Teddy. Teddy is now a major hurricane could become a cat four you know, pretty soon. The the stronger the storm, the more ace it accumulates. And the longer it stays at that at that intensity, the longer it will be. So I forget what Dorian, I think Dorian had an ace of something like 65 or something. That was totally insane. 
I think the record is uh, for uh, something out in the Pacific. Ioke, uh, I think, was eighty-two. Yeah, uh, it was the highest exactly. ace ever for a for a typhoon. So yeah, yeah. So so to put things in perspective for this season as far, our aces between seventy. I, it was, yesterday it was seventy-five. I haven't looked at it today, but, but because of the fact that we have Teddy out there, it's it's somewhere between seventy-five and eighty units, and. Teddy could take it all the way to a hundred, you know, yeah, if, just uh, itself because it could stay a hurricane all the way as it tracks up towards uh, the Canadian Maritimes or, and, and Maine here as we go into early. Exactly. exactly. So, so we're going to be probably close to a hundred probably by early next week. And of course we'll have something developing in the Gulf of Mexico. So ACE basically looks at the, at the length of time and every six hours, what the intensity is. And you take that and you basically do a multiplication factor and come up with with the with the actual value itself then so the longer the storm and the more intense the storm the more ace and the idea there is that creates it's using more energy more it takes more energy right. to keep a storm going and for a storm to uh, to uh, you know keep intensifying so but you know something it's not the end all right. because this year has been a been a lot different and ace does ace may not totally frame this year because we've had so many storms, we've had so many impacts on the United States. But when you have weak impacts, the ACE doesn't really calculate in there. So right, there because some, right, right. So there are some other ways you can weigh that in. There's there's uh, some proposals to to use the size of the hurricane, that the core the of the, ge- the hurricane, the geographic size, like in terms the of the, the actual square size. miles of it. Exactly, and also using what is called the radius of maximum winds. Mm. Uh, that's actually where the donut is, where the where the hurricane, where the eye of the hurricane is. Or in most storms, there is a maximum wind value to there. Using that to put it in perspective. But again, calculating that stuff is very very difficult. The nice thing about ACE is it's so easy to calculate. All you need is the intensity and the number of six-hour time periods been at that intensity, and you, again, you uh, basically take the square root of that. And, and uh, multiply by 100, and, and you've got the number then. So, talking with the uh, chief uh, hurricane forecaster for AccuWeather, uh, Dan Kotlowski, um, just a couple of minutes here now as we go. Let's take a look at the tropics and just kind of also talk about how the weekend weather will kind of play into all of that. Teddy is, well, Sally's going to move, as we're recording this, move offshore here as we get into Friday and become a non entity. Teddy looks like it's headed, r- Bermuda's going to get smacked again, it looks like, right over yeah. Bermuda. I'm one of those forecasters. I dread seeing people get hit multiple times. Right. And I just do not like what I see with, with Teddy right now. Although the latest computer models are a little bit more, have, have shifted a little bit to the right. But, you know, this far out, those models will go a little bit to the right, right. Yep. to the left. And kind of, so we call that the wind, windshield wiper effect. They yeah, kind of go yeah, back so and forth a little bit. The air that far out is almost 300 miles. You could be off by 150 miles one way or the other of the track forecast. And so basically, if I, if I had friends or relatives or if I was in Bermuda, I would certainly be very worried about this storm. And certainly we're advising people to keep track of this storm here on AccuWeather and we'll, we'll keep you updated on that. As far as the weekend goes, obviously this big, cool, high pressure, this is a, a like the last calendar weekend of summer. We're going into a, a, a deeper fall preview, Great Lakes yeah. into the Northeast. 
that's going to kind of help steer Teddy. But I'll tell you, along the eastern seaboard, you know, we we've been seeing problems with high surf and erosion and those kinds of things and and lots of wave action. And Teddy's just going to keep that going here as we go through the weekend. So uh, as we get into the early part of next week, when fall actually arrives on the calendar, there's actually a little warm up up into the uh, mid-Atlantic states. There's going to be some really big waves and rough surf and dangerous conditions if folks are going to try to get out to, to surf a little bit here, which they do. That's what the surfers like to do. Uh, the other place we're watching, Western Gulf, this is an interesting situation. Uh, the models kind of have this uh, disturbance just kind of hanging out offshore in the southwestern Gulf for several days. That always makes me nervous, right? Because at some point, uh, we're not seeing something that will catch it and do something with it. Just some thoughts of that, which is probably what's going to become Willifred here as we get into uh, the weekend or early next week. Exactly. In fact, that's what I was working on just before we record this uh, on maps that we're beginning to put out net right now it does look as if we've got one other system that's out in the atlantic uh, off the coast of africa near the cabo verde islands that might intensify over the next uh, 24 hours or so but it looks like this one is probably going to become the last uh, the last name on our list but it looks like it crawls northward north northeastward and then kind of hangs around over the west central gulf of mexico uh, early next week. Whether it gets close enough to the coast of Texas and northeast Mexico to bring wind and rain there, that's something we're trying to determine right now. But it looks like it's going to at least through early next week, it'll be a problem for South Texas and the northeastern uh, portion of Mexico initially. Uh, sometimes these storms will will slowly work their way out of the, out of where they are out of the Gulf of Mexico or in the Bay of Campeche. But sometimes they just bury themselves back into that area. So so there's a lot of uncertainty here. Anyone in the Gulf Coastal area should be keeping an eye on this. I don't think it's going to take uh, take a book, uh, book to uh, uh, Louisiana or Florida, but I would be worried along the Texas coast this could get uh, close to South Texas maybe as early as Sunday. But after that, the whole Gulf of Mexico is certainly – open for our possibilities. We've got an easing of the fire situation out west. Thank uh, goodness for that. Uh, there looks like uh, more of a troughiness and, and cooler weather that uh, is going to allow maybe a little ease up and some help in the, the, the fight against the fires. We've got this chilly, unseasonably cool weather in the northeast Great Lakes this weekend. And then we have that warm sector in the middle of the country. And then, of course, the showers and thunderstorms uh, along the south Texas coast, down along the uh, Folks there in the lower Rio Grande Valley and then South Florida also has some showers. So interesting to watch what we see into next week uh, with that disturbance in the Gulf. Uh, your folks are going to continue to be busy. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll keep an eye as we go through the weekend on everything uh, under the sun in terms of the tropics and everything else. Dan, have a great day. Thanks a lot, Dean. It is definitely going to be a good weekend to keep up to date, especially uh, folks in the Western Gulf there. Uh, you can keep up to date with the latest forecast on AccuWeather.com, on your AccuWeather app with our AccuWeather network and our AccuWeather great media partners across the country. And we'll keep uh, keeping an eye on that situation in the Western Gulf where we get Wilfred. And also, um, as we go through, we're going to keep an eye on this chilly fall weather that's coming into the Northeast and Great Lakes. This is going to be a real taste of fall in the last Last calendar weekend of summer, the uh, equinox is coming here on this upcoming Tuesday, and it is time to get ready for some leaf peeping coming up on next week's episode of Everything Under the Sun. It's a fall foliage outlook as we uh, take a look with the help of uh, SmokyMountains.com and their fall foliage map. We'll talk to Dave Angotti about uh, the forecast. It's already off to a fast start, it seems, in northern New England. 
you know, with that chilly fall weather that's invading the Midwest and Northeast, one thing we didn't mention up front, the news that the Big Ten has decided to reverse course and play football this fall, starting out on the weekend of October 24th. So fall foliage, maybe a little bit more fall football in the coming weeks, and certainly uh, more talk, too, about uh, COVID and how we're going from summer to winter through the fall here in the Northern Hemisphere and how we go from cooling the air to heating the air and that how that might affect the virus. I know Dr. Joel Myers will pay us a visit here in the coming weeks on that subject as well. Friends, I want to thank all of our amazing AccuWeather team members. They've been working really hard. I mean, the second landfalling hurricane of this hurricane season on the Gulf Coast, Sally presented a lot of problems and we had a lot of folks not only our meteorologists and our forecasters, but those working behind the scenes, putting in a lot of extra hours here over the last couple of weeks. And we're not done doing that, keeping you up to date and informed not only the hurricane situation, but the Western wildfires and uh, everything else. Again, amazing kudos to our AccuWeather team members for all their hard work. We'd also like to thank uh, you, the listener, and you can uh, react. We had uh, some great thank yous to that story last week about uh, electronics damage and how you can mitigate that and mitigate the damage to your, your appliances. Uh, we'll be taking more of your suggestions at AccuWeather.podcast at AccuWeather.com. Again, email us with comments, story ideas, suggestions, AccuWeather.podcast at AccuWeather.com. For our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, I'm your host, meteorologist Ian DeVore. Thank you so much for joining us here on Episode 4 of our Back to School series. We'll see you next week on Everything Under the Sun. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of Everything Under the Sun. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of AccuWeather's podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.